Welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars, but it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin, we finally made it. We made it to the Revenge of the Sith. Yep, the Sith are making a comeback. They really are. They're the new black or something like that. Yeah, it's. I know we're going to get into a whole bunch of things, but really, when it comes down to it, everybody should have known Anakin was the only Jedi who wears all black. Shouldn't have that been a clue to everybody else? Everybody's wearing white, brown, and he's the one guy running around in an all black suit. Doesn't that, anybody notice that? Nobody thought that was weird? Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, Obi-Wan wore his, like, khaki and his brown and just kind of boring. And Anakin was all in sleek black. Like, that should have tipped everyone off. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So fashion choices aside, uh, we've got the third movie of the prequel trilogy, which is another three-act play, but the first act is really lengthy. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think this movie really could have been about like 30% shorter and been just as good. I think there are a whole bunch of sequences where you could cut out about 30, 40% of an individual sequence and the movie would have been great. Yeah, yeah. So we've got the rescue of the Chancellor and the killing of Dooku and some politics. The second act is kind of Anakin's fall from the Jedi Order. And the third act is the rise of the Empire. Yep. So let's jump into act one. Uh, Where do we start, Kevin? So we start in space uh, over Coruscant and there's a battle raging and we just really are dropped right in the middle of it. Um, And it's basically, for whatever reason, uh, General Grievous uh, has led an invasion of Coruscant and somehow kidnapped the Chancellor and has the Chancellor on his flagship. Shocking. Shocking. I can't imagine how that would happen at all. But yet he's been quote unquote kidnapped Kidnapped. and Anakin and Obi-Wan are set on the rescue mission. That's right. And so the sort of the scene opens with a big old space battle, a lot of uh, a lot of CGI. It's really amazing how far, just another aside, how far CGI has come in the last, what, like 20, how long? 15 years? 15 years. 15 years. That Like, this was pretty advanced CGI for the time. Um, and, you know, when you look at it in the context of today's movies, it leaves a little bit to be desired. But uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan battle through a whole bunch of droids and eventually land themselves on Grievous's flagship and then start uh, an inside the space hole situation. Right. And, you know, we talked about how throughout this entire prequel trilogy, the writing's been, you know, less than stellar, but there's been some really good plot. Once again, we are met with some really bad writing. And unfortunately, the uh, lucky beneficiary of that writing was Obi-Wan Kenobi. So his uh, sense of humor comes out or is attempted to come out. It's just some really cheesy lines and bad writing. Um, And then there's some inconsistencies as well. when they finally run into Count Dooku, Anakin calls him Count as opposed to Dooku, which kind of reminds me of in A New Hope, where Obi-Wan calls Darth Vader Darth instead of Vader. And- yeah, yeah, it was a little bit weird. Um, but yeah, so they go through this whole, yeah, they go through a whole thing. I think the interesting call-outs in it, um, there's, there's a lot of banter between Obi-Wan and Anakin, which I think dovetails nicely into the Clone Wars. You can see their relationship. It's really setting them up as kind of like colleagues, brothers, you know, buddies, whatever. Um, they make it to sort of this observation room where the Chancellor is tied to a chair and uh, Count Dooku shows up, and it start. They start into a lightsaber fight, and there's a lot of there's a lot of weird banter in there. And Anakin saying, "My powers have doubled since the last time we met." And um, and the fight 
goes as pretty much as predicted, right? It's really bad, though. Like, of all the lightsaber fights we've seen, this has not been the most impressive one. No, it really wasn't. I think there's two things in it. One is that Anakin and Obi-Wan are outmatched in a way that doesn't isn't really consistent with their capabilities. Um, secondly, there's a really bad little CGI moment, but Obi-Wan gets sort of knocked across the room and Dooku drops a, like a catwalk on him and it compl- it would completely have cut him in half. Um, but yet somehow he's totally fine when he gets up. His legs aren't even broken, which is a little bit strange. Um, but I mean, there is a little bit of good fighting style from Anakin. He does this whole sort of match and mirror thing again. And ultimately he cuts off Dooku's hands, both of them. Yeah, you know, that's kind of a running theme we have through all of the movies as well. You're going to lose a hand if you fight a Skywalker in a lightsaber fight. Yeah, it's kind of a signature move, right? So he cuts off Dooku's hands, he grabs Dooku's lightsaber, um, and then Palpatine says, kill him. Uh, he's he's too dangerous to be left alive. And Anakin kind of hesitates, thinks about it, and then chops his head off. Well, he says it's like, it's not the Jedi way. He should, you know, stand before the senate for trial and then really palpatine kind of gets that like scary evil guy voice he, he stops being this reasonable chancellor and you know a little bit of sidious comes out and eggs him on and i think one of the other things that's really interesting is that this beheading o- occurs where anakin's got his lightsaber but he also has dooku's lightsaber so he's got the light side he's got the dark side in his hands yeah and that's you know just kind of a nice little transition to one day he won't have a blue lightsaber yep that's right um, but anyway, he, he chops his head off. Uh, Palpatine tells him to leave Obi-Wan. He refuses. They all escape together. Um, they get to the, well, they, they basically, they get halfway through their escape and they get captured again. They get brought to the bridge, which just as a, as sort of a battle strategy, you don't take your, your like top enemies and bring them to the bridge of your flagship. You take them to the brig. Or you take them to like a cargo hold and confront them there. You don't bring them into the control center of your main flagship. That's just bad strategy by General Grievous. Completely agree. And I mean, it's something that we see in a lot of different science fiction uh, movies and TV shows. They always bring these people to the bridge. It makes no sense. No, it does not make any sense, right? But anyway, they do. They end up in a fight on the bridge. Dooku, or I mean, uh, Grievous throws um, uh, some sort of weapon through the main viewport, causes a decompression, which for some reason, the bridge losing air pressure on a ship that's manned by droids causes the flagship to crash into the atmosphere, which also never really made a lot of sense to me. But they start crashing into the atmosphere and somehow they crash into the ground and don't die for reasons that don't really make a lot of sense. And then everybody's... Everybody escapes. They, you know, make their way back to the landing pad on Coruscant. And, you know, there's a a big warm welcome for everyone. And, you know, basically the politicians are there and the Jedi and the politicians kind of separate, except um, Anakin is basically suggested that he goes with the politicians. Obi-Wan tells him to enjoy his glorious day. And I think that this kind of really points out that there's this big difference between the Jedi Council and the Masters. And even though Anakin's not on there, but he doesn't identify with them as much as maybe he should. Mm -hmm. And the politicians and the Chancellor and the people that we know to be in his pocket. Yeah. And so one of the politicians that's in this crowd, of course, is... Uh, Padme Amidala, 
who after you know Anakin kind of talks to a few he talks to Senator Organa for a little while he kind of you know glad hands for a minute and then um, he and Padme sneak off behind a pillar uh, exchange a kiss and then have uh, an altogether too lengthy discussion about the fact that she's pregnant. And I want to thank you, Kevin, because in preparation for tonight's podcast, I made us actually watch their dialogue. Normally, we just fast forward through it. And you were quite the sport in enduring through it. And I, I know that that was very tough for you. But thank you for taking one for the team and for our listeners. You're welcome. And I think I'll just take this as an opportunity to remind everybody, as we said when we were watching, uh, when we were talking about episode two, if you really want to enjoy this movie more, anytime that Anakin and Padme are on the screen and have dialogue to each other, just skip it. You listen to this podcast, we'll tell you what you're missing. You're not really going to miss much. Yeah, so she tells Anakin that she's pregnant. Anakin says he wants to stop the secrecy and have a real marriage, but Padme says no. Um, No, they should have said yes. They should have just come out, and if he had been kicked out of the Jedi Order, or actually we learned that if she like announced that she was pregnant, she was going to lose her job, the Queen of Naboo would have fired her. That's also not great. Um, yeah, real nice society they've got there. Like we got slavery, we've got um, speciesism, we've got women aren't allowed to be pregnant and be senators. Um, yeah, what kind of what kind of you know galaxy you guys running over there? Yeah, not great. There's a lot of problems, but the fact that they have this brief moment where they chat about possibly trying to make themselves have a real marriage, and they both agree that the answer is no. Um, they should not have gotten married. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a general that's a generally good relationship marriage rule is if you feel like you have to hide your marriage from everyone, then you probably should not have done it. Completely agree. And I, I think that just kind of goes along not just marriage, but pretty much anything and everything. If the choices that you make in your day to day life are things that you can't tell someone else about, then those are not the right choices. So, yeah. yeah. So here here we are. Um, he then skedaddles back off to where he's supposed to go. Um and yeah, it's just, again, like we said, it's terrible acting between Anakin and Padme. Just fast forward. Um, we also see uh, Lord Sidious giving orders to General Grievous. So um, Sidious instructs Grievous, you know, I'll give you more orders, but don't worry. I've got a younger and more powerful apprentice coming your way because uh, Grievous is all worried about Dooku being dead. Yeah, um, and, you know, that's a valid concern for Dooku. It is interesting because I think this is the first time that we see that Grievous and, and Sidious know each other and that he's been taking orders directly from him, which means that, you know, the, the, the way the whole Separatist movement was spun in a way, and I think to most of the Separatist leaders, it is Count Dooku who's running the show. It's very clear from this that General Grievous sort of reports to Darth Tyrannus and Darth Sidious, not to Count Dooku who, reminder, uh, Count Dooku and Lord Tyrannus are the same person. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, but he tells, he tells uh, um, Grievous to take the Separatist leadership to Mustafar to keep them safe there. Uh, and then we kind of really just sort of slide quietly into Act 2, right? No, we have or a couple more things that happen. Um, you know, there's a couple comments that the Jedi... Uh, council makes there's a couple comments that obi-wan makes 
um, that I think are important to remember. You know, the fear of loss is a path to the dark side and attachment leads to jealousy. And, and these are just to point out that the secret marriage that Padme and Anna can have is just bad news. It is a very slippery slope to the dark side. Um, also, while the politicians are getting together, the Senate votes more executive powers to the chancellor. And that is when Obi-Wan warns Anakin to be careful of your friend Palpatine. And, you know, the, the other Jedi are like, this is kind of weird. And they say all of this is unusual. It's not just the one executive um, power vote. It's everything that's happening is unusual. Yeah, that's right. I want to say two things about what, uh, what you just said. The one, I think Yoda's speech about attachment and all that was really interesting because it sort of shows the rigidity of the Jedi, which I think is part of what leads to their downfall. He kind of says, because I think that's in a scene where where Anakin is talking about having visions of uh, Padme dying in the future, right? And and he doesn't specifically say who it is, but Yoda asks him a few questions about his premonitions and visions, and he says, is it about someone you care about? And Anakin says, yes. And Yoda says, oh, be careful about caring about someone it's attachment can lead to jealousy, the shadow of greed, which is a path to the dark side. And it feels like it's a very like reductive sort of um, posture from from Yoda and from the Jedi Order. That's like kind of like anything can it feels like any any feeling can lead to the dark side. Right. Because because it's like this is like four generations away from anger and, you know, and hate and the things that we say that the dark side truly is that he's basically like if you have. If you're attached to a, if you have any feelings of attachment to a person, that can lead to jealousy, which can lead to greed, and greed can lead to anger, and anger leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side. And suffering, don't suffering, forget don't suffering. forget suffering, right? Yeah, um, and like that feels like it's it's a it's a very then you know like this is probably one of the problems with the inflexibility of the Jedi that they don't really know how to deal with any kind of feelings. Right. And um, and so they don't really know how to deal with someone like Anakin, who is a fairly emotional dude. And um, and, you know, I mean, Yoda ends up being right in this case, but it feels like maybe if the Jedi Order was a little bit less um, uh, rigid about that, that maybe they would have some tools in their toolbox to deal with people like this and not have him just go cuckoo bananas. Right, right. And, you know, not to like have any significant commentary on anything aside from Star Wars love or marriage, but, you know, look at some of the problems that they're having, you know, in the, you know, Amazon rainforest trying to get enough priests where they just don't have enough people because of all the strict rules. So, you know, like maybe a little bit of flexibility within the Jedi Order and they would have been able to retain the good Jedi that they had, possibly even attract other Force wielders. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, ah- Ahsoka, who we talked about in, the, in our last episode, is basically, you know, she took a different path, which is to, to leave the Jedi Order because she wanted to work out her own feelings. And again, it was another, another huge loss to the Order because... Uh, they really couldn't accommodate. Yeah, even though they're always told, trust your feelings, w- listen to your feelings, but then they don't know what to do with them. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, uh, that's probably part of uh, what ends up happening to them. Yeah, why this is called Revenge of the Sith instead of the Jedi are going to rise up and be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, kind of the last little bit of this political dance that we see in the you know, act one is Palpatine and Anakin are talking and we learn at, you know, that 
Anakin has confided in Palpatine about the time that he slaughtered all of those sand people on Tatooine, you know, hundreds of them, you know, the women, the children, not just the men. Um, And so Palpatine knows about that. And so he's kind of stoking those emotions in Anakin. And after they talk about that a little bit, Palpatine asks Anakin to be his representative on the Jedi Council. And Anakin feels flattered and honored and extra respected instead of going, wait, why does Palpatine need a representative? Instead of questioning the motives, he immediately thinks about puffing up his chest and being proud about this. Right. And and moreover, he immediately assumes that that means that he's going to be promoted to the rank of Jedi Master, which when he appears before the council, they say, we accept that you're on the council, but we do not grant you the rank of Master. And his reaction is, that's not fair. This is He says, this is an outrage. It isn't fair. This has never been done before. And Windu tells him, just sit down, take your place. And he kind of apologizes to Obi-Wan later for that outburst. But you can see that that's sort of where his head's at. Yeah, but he doesn't really because at the exact same time that he's trying to apologize for the outburst, Obi-Wan is asking Anakin to spy on Palpatine. And that's at the Jedi Council's request. And he kind of gives him this, you know long ways away of saying come on man this all smells pretty bad like look at it this just isn't good um and and so that leads us to kind of one of the coolest scenes in the movie um maybe in all of the prequel trilogy i don't know i'll let you decide where you weigh in on this but they go to the opera i do love the opera scene um so the opera scene is a is a really well set up there. It's some sort of, um, I, I think it's a Mon Calamari opera. So there are these sort of floating water spheres and there are these uh, dancers that are sort of jumping between the spheres and it's a very sort of ethereal, it's almost an underwatery sounding um, opera. And um, Palpatine summons Anakin to sit with him at the opera under the guise of his his intelligence found out where General Grievous is. And And then so he tells Anakin where General Grievous is, and then he sort of dismisses everybody else in his box and and he tells Anakin to sit down and he starts talking to him about the legend of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Yeah, and Sidious is really both sidesing the whole nature of the Force, too. He kind of suggests that it's ignorant to only study the light side of the Force and that to truly understand the Force, you must understand. You must also study the the dark side of the force. There are powers that you're not aware of, um, you know, that the Jedi Council is being ignorant. And then he just kind of spins into this. Have you ever heard the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise? And, and Kevin, tell everyone that story. So the story is that Darth Plagueis the Wise was a Sith master who had such a deep knowledge of the force that he was able to manipulate the midichlorians to create life. Um, and he could even prevent people who were going to die from dying. And um, Anakin asked, you know, is it possible to learn this power? And he said, not from a Jedi. Anakin asked what happened to him. And uh, Palpatine says, he became so confident in his power, the only thing that he feared was losing it, uh, which of course he did when his apprentice killed him in his sleep. And the little grin on his face, this is never in, in canon, never truly confirmed, but it's assumed that um, Darth Plagueis was Darth Sidious's master and that he was the one who killed him in his sleep. And he says he could save others, but he couldn't save himself. Right, which is ironic. And, you know, Sidious gets a little chuckle of it. And Anakin, instead of wondering why 
Palpatine knows about this, he only hears the part he wants to hear, which is, I could save Padme from dying in childbirth. Instead of wondering, you know, like, they've got this penthouse, beautiful apartment, she's a senator, she's got all these people who are on her staff, they've got protocol droids, he's, you know, a Jedi Knight. Like, instead of thinking they have all the resources under the sun, that they could just like go to the doctor and get her pregnancy checked out and make sure everything is fine. Um, no, he, he immediately jumps to the like worst possible conclusion that he needs to learn some like Sith master power and figure out how to save her from dying. Right. And that's a little great. He also doesn't question why Palpatine would know about a Sith legend um, and why Palpatine has thought a lot about how the Sith and the Jedi both crave power. And it's just... Palpatine sits him down and starts talking about Sith stuff. And from a guy who's not supposed to be, you know, a force wielder or schooled in the in the force arts, he seems to know a lot about this. And Anakin doesn't question any of that. He just goes right along with it and, and starts to think about how he can he can learn about this this new power that he just heard of. Yeah, and so I know we haven't talked about this before, but do you think maybe Palpatine has kind of manipulated the force to give Anakin that vision because Palpatine has seen it as well so that he could maybe force Anakin into being more willing to receive his message because he goes hard at the Sith stuff and we haven't seen that before really um and we also know that Palpatine's desperate Dooku's dead he's down one apprentice and Grievous is not the guy who's gonna step up yeah that's actually really interesting because the um the sort of postquels uh, really allude to the fact that Palpatine has the power to make people see things, have visions. Um, he's got an expansive set of powers. So it's not out of bounds that he could have been the one causing Anakin to have those visions. Absolutely. I mean, he does that, you know, spoilers or not, this whole podcast is spoilers. Um, he does that to, to Ray and uh, Ben Solo uh, in the future. So it's not to say that he wouldn't know how to do that in the past. Um, speaking of which, he also gives a really good line in this scene that, that we hear again in Rise of Skywalker. He says, the uh, dark side is a path to many abilities that people would call unnatural. Right. And, you know, being able to survive death or defeat death would be unnatural. Unnatural. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the opera scene is great, but it basically leads uh, Anakin to, you know, so he kind of gets this little spark planted, but the but it's it's really funny because the whole scene is really like the most crucial piece of information in there is at the very beginning, which is he knows where Count Dooku or where uh, General Grievous is hiding. And so Anakin runs back to the Jedi Council to report that piece of information. And they decide to dispatch Obi-Wan Kenobi to go kill Grievous. Um much to Anakin's objection. Right. And I, I think, um, you know, we at this point, we're going to finish up, you know, act one. And so Anakin has gone to report back to the Jedi Council. He and Obi-Wan, uh, they say their goodbyes, which we haven't really seen them do too many times. We certainly didn't see it happen in the Clone Wars cartoon show very yeah, often. Yeah, this is a little bit of a unique situation because in Clone Wars, um, they were always dispatched together, almost always, right? Every once in a while, their fleets would get split up because they were both generals and they had their own fleets. But most of the time, they were assigned out together. Um, and so this is one of the first times that we actually see Obi-Wan being sent on an assignment without Anakin. 
And one of the things that we also know about why that is, is that the Jedi are spread out all over. Um, they just, there's too many different things that they all have to be doing. And, and we also learned that, you know, um, Yoda's going to go off to talk to the Wookiees and some of the other Jedi are out in battle already. And, uh, you know, very telling and very sad, uh, Obi-Wan's last line to Anakin is, goodbye, old friend, may the force be with you. Yeah, and, and that scene is actually done in a really good visual style. They're sort of talking and Anakin is standing in the shadow and Obi-Wan is standing in the sunlight and, um, and you know, the, the dark light, uh, composition is really kind of evident there in in that in that scene. It's a pretty it's a it's not a sad scene when you see it the first time. It's a very sad scene when you see it subsequent times and you know what's about to happen. Right. Yeah. Right. And um, so after that, Anakin goes to see Padme, and he's very truthful for once with her, and he admits that he craves power, and Padme seems pretty chill with it. Yeah, she, you know, through this whole thing, she's very accepting of his personality quirks and his outbursts and all of his stuff. I like how you call his slaughter an outburst and his uh, desire to crave power a quirk, but, you know, glass half full, right? I, I, yeah, I mean, okay, his megalomania and his, you know, murderousness. Yeah, not great. No, not great. No. Uh, but yeah, she sort of takes it in stride and she tries to calm him down and she keeps telling him, she's like, what? You're the youngest guy ever on the Jedi Council. Like, what more do you want? He, he just wants more. He just always wants more. He always wants Right. And I mean, this is like the one aspect of their marriage, which I think is actually not completely messed up, is that she is very supportive of him. So that's good. That's nice. Um, I mean, he needs better ambitions and goals and they need more honesty, uh, not just between them, but with the others that interact in their lives. But it is good that she's very supportive of him. Sure. <laughs> sure. That's nice, I suppose. Yeah, so let, let's go into uh, Act 2 here. Yeah. So Act 2 is a whole series of events that lead to the fall of, of Anakin. And I think there's there's two things before we get into sort of the nuts and bolts of Act 2. Is that Act 2 is relatively long, but also feels very sudden at the end. And I think that without watching the Clone Wars show and without really, really thinking about all of the things that happen in Act 1, it feels like a big sudden turn, but it's not. I, you know, the... You know, Anakin's faith in the Jedi Council and his faith in really just the way the Senate operates and his relationship with the Chancellor have all been brewing over a very, you know, over three or four years since the beginning of the Clone War. And you see that in the Clone War show. You see that at the end of the Ahsoka arc where he says he's been thinking about leaving the Order. And so a lot of the things where it seems like he suddenly loses faith in the Jedi Council and feels like he's mistrusted and that he's not growing the way he should is actually all things that have been happening over a long period of time. And they just all come to a head on what really kind of act, I guess act two all really happens in one day, doesn't it? Yeah, it's about six, seven hours tops. Yeah. And a lot happens in that day. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, the other thing is, is that if you know, not not to be too disrespectful, but if Anakin Skywalker had been cast with a much more talented actor than Hayden Christensen was, who maybe could have emoted a little bit more naturally and, you know, flowed through the scenes, then perhaps it wouldn't have seemed so abrupt. But it definitely was abrupt, even knowing, you know, 
all the different plots that led up through the Clone Wars and putting a little bit more spin on that, you know, it's still just not the best acting. And so that just makes it much more apparent in our face just how sudden this change seems to be. That's right. So I guess the first kind of thing that happens in uh, Act 2 is that um, Obi-Wan does go to um, Utapau. Is that the name? Yeah, Utapau. Uh, which is where uh, General Grievous and his army are kind of hiding out. It's a planet on the Outer Rim. It's relatively unknown. It's not very special, but it's where everybody's hanging out. And Obi-Wan sends his fleet, but also flies himself in a fighter. He lands first. He talks to the leadership of the the Utapau people. I don't know what you would call them. Um, Utapauans? Utapauans? Maybe. Utapauans. Utapauanoians? I don't, I don't know. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so he talks to the leadership and, and they kind of tell him, yeah, General Grievous is here. Um, you know, here's where you'd find him. And then Obi-Wan does a, a fairly Obi-Wan-ish thing where he just sort of drop, literally drops into the middle of this giant droid army and says, hello. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, things happen, things happen, things happen. And he ends up in a one-on-one fight with General Grievous, which is pr- fairly ludicrous because there are literally like 10,000 battle droids standing around him that could have just shot him now and none of them do it. <laughs> well, Grievous says, no, I want to do this, basically. Because yeah. he's always fancied himself to be just as good, if not better, than the Jedi when it comes to the Jedi art. And, you know, so he wants to have what he believes might be a fair fight in his eyes um, against another Jedi. And he's mistaken. That's right. I mean, he's got four arms, so he's got that going for him. But uh, Obi-Wan quickly takes out two of those arms. And then Grievous jumps in this, like, spinning wheel of death thing and tries to run him, run him over. And Obi-Wan chases him riding some sort of dragon. And they end up in a fight. And they end up in their fight goes on and on and on. And then it turns in... Obi-Wan loses his lightsaber at some point, which I think is really funny given how much guff he gave Anakin about losing his lightsaber in uh, episode two. And um, and so then it turns into like a one-on-one hand fight, which is weird because Grievous is a droid and Obi-Wan, several times when he kicks him, he just hurts himself. Um, and Obi-Wan ends up killing him by shooting him in the chest with a blaster many, many times. Uh, and then he throws the blaster aside and says, how uncivilized, which is very on brand for him. But it's also kind of a weird, I like, I like the scene. I think it's a, it's a good fight scene. It goes on only a little bit too long, but it is kind of interesting that they set it up such that Obi-Wan would kill Grievous with a blaster instead of a lightsaber. Right, right. Cause when it's all said and done, Grievous wasn't a Sith. He wasn't a Jedi. He's not a force wielder. He shouldn't die by something with. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and so Grievous is dead. Uh, and then while somewhere in the middle of the battle, uh, Obi-Wan's uh, whole army shows, his clone army shows up and they engage the droid army and then they just have a fairly standard battle happening in the background. Right. And, and while this is going on, Yoda flies to the Wookiee homeworld. Right? Kashyyyk. Kashyyyk, yeah. Yep. And so he's with the Wookiees. Uh, you know, they're they're fighting a, a battle on that front. Yep. And there are several other battles raging around the galaxy. But but the, what the Jedi Order had, had said to Palpatine, I think somewhere in Act 1, I think Mace Windu said something to him, which was, was basically, as soon as Grievous is dead, 
the the chancellor should give up his emergency powers because that would effectively end the war. I'm not really sure why everybody assumes that his death would end the war because there's like a lot of you know, we meet uh, in Clone Wars, we meet Admiral Trench, who's, you know, the big spider guy. Like, there are other leaders of the droid armies. There are also the leaders of the banking clan and um, the Techno Union army and the, the you know, all those guys. And so I'm not really sure why the death of General Grievous would presum- presumptively end the war, right? Because you can lose a general and still have an army. Um, but they basically imply that his death should should end the war and should end uh, the chancellor's uh, emergency powers. Right, right. And so that's happening. We've got all these other battles. And then back on Coruscant, Anakin goes in to see Palpatine um, as part of his spying. And he confesses to Palpatine, yeah, they sent me here to spy on you. Well, actually more. Palpatine says, oh, they sent you here to spy on me. And Anakin's like, yeah, they did. And he feels like conflicted and bad about it. And Palpatine goes hard at him again about the powers of the Sith. Yeah. And and he basically, he Palpatine reveals to him that he knows that he's married to Padme, that he knows that she's got, uh, that she's pregnant. And that he knows that he's had visions that she'd die in childbirth. And he was like, what? How do you know all that? And then he continues to talk about how there are dark side powers that can save her. And that an expanded view of the force would help him be more powerful. And Anakin's like, wait a minute. How do you know? What? How do you know about all this? And he's like, I've learned. My master taught me everything about the light side and the dark side. And, you know, in order to understand the great mystery, you have to know all the parts. And Anakin's like, wait, what? And it's basically like, you can almost see Sidious like, for God's sake, man, I'm telling you that I'm the Sith Lord and that I'm going to train you. Like, do I really have to spell it out for you? And then he does spell it out. And Anakin immediately draws his lightsaber and is like, wait a minute, you're the Sith Lord. Exactly. And Anakin tells him, well, you stay here. I'm going to come back and arrest you, basically. Yeah. And he's and he said, do you want to kill me? And he's like, I really want to. But, oh, but you know something I want to know, so no I'm, And that's not the Jedi way. Yeah, and he's like, no, the Jedi way is to tell you that I'm going to go and get other Jedi and we're going to come and arrest you in the name of the Senate. And he's like, cool, you should go do that. You really should. I think that's a good idea. And Hennigan's like, yeah, I do think that's a good idea. And yeah. so he goes to do that. Yeah, Palpatine is very confident in his power with the dark side of the Force. He's not sweating this at all. He's, he knows that he's going to be able to manipulate the situation as he has historically and frequently. And so Anakin goes, he finds Mace Windu, and he's like, dude, this is not going great. I found the Sith Lord. It's Palpatine. Mace Windu's face at that point just breaks. He's like, I can't believe we missed that. He's really disappointed in them as the Jedi. Yeah. He's like, well, we, we got a job to go do so he rounds up three other jedi and he tells anakin you keep your rear end seated here in the jedi council room don't go anywhere um we we need to go take care of business yeah and in fact what he specifically what he says to him is if you're telling the truth you will have gained my trust um but if you come with you will not right which which flat out says everything that anakin's been suspecting which is that mace windu does not trust him right he flat out admits it and you know he said well we were going there to make sure he gave up his power anyway but i guess now we're going to arrest him as the sith lord and uh and that's what they head off to do yeah and truthfully i don't think anakin should be angry at mace windu for not trusting him he's been hiding his secret marriage for four and a half years right 
And he's been defying the council for at least three, four, five, ten. I don't know who, who knows how long, right? He has, you know, he's been friends with the chancellor, which everybody suspects. And now, right? So, like, this is the other piece of this, right? So, Anakin, it's well known that he's friends of the chancellor. He was named as the special envoy to the council by the chancellor, and then he comes in and says, "Hey, the guy that I've been friends with all this time, and who named me to this council, and who has been my advisor and confidant, turns out he's a Sith Lord." I, of course they shouldn't trust him, right? Why would they trust him? Why would they let him come along on the arrest mission? But of course, Anakin wants to make sure that they don't kill him or do anything that will prevent him from getting the power that he wants from Sidious, right? So the reason he wants to go is basically to protect him, which is the very reason that Windu does not want him to go, which, you know, that all tracks. And again, Anakin could have used this time to take Padme to the doctor, gotten the pregnancy checked out, and not interfered. But here we are, he's stuck waiting around, and he's angry, and, you know, anger leads to the dark side, all bad stuff. Yeah, and and sorry to interrupt, but they do this thing, and this happens like three or four times in this movie, but they do this thing where they've kind of got like a slow, like low chant kind of music. And they do a camera shot to Anakin, who's just sort of sitting in the council chambers, brooding. They've got Padme, who for some reason spends a lot of her time. She's a senator, right? She feels, it feels to me like she spends a lot of time just sitting in the, sitting on a couch crying. Yeah, and brushing her hair. And brushing her hair. She just, she doesn't seem like she has a lot to do, but they like cut to her sitting on the couch thinking, him sitting in the council chambers brooding, and then the the rest of the Jedi um, masters flying in a spaceship and just sort of run around that ring a couple times until the Jedi masters get to uh, Sidious's place. Right, and this goes back to your earlier point about how this movie could have been about 30% shorter. Yeah, like we don't need that. Like we get it, we get it. Right. This is this is a tense moment. Everybody's on edge. We don't need like a five minute silent musical interlude to make that. point. Yeah. So then Mace Windu and three other Jedi show up uh, to Palpatine's chambers and basically Mace Windu calls him out as being the Sith Lord. I'm here to arrest you. And Sidious is like, bring it and immediately brings out his lightsaber and very, very quickly kills the other three Jedi. Yeah, I mean, like, they don't even, like, they don't even move, right? And he's, granted, he uses a very unconventional style. And, but his style is the same style as Yoda. Uh, It's a variant of the same style. But the, the big difference is that he uses a style where he sort of has his lightsaber pointing out, um, where everybody else, all of the Jedi, I think this is a very telling difference, is that he does use the same form that Yoda uses with the dynamic movements and the jumps and everything. But his posture with his lightsaber is instead of in a defensive posture to ward off attacks, it's always in an attacking posture. It's pointed out and it's pointed to the chest of his opponent, Um, which I think is a very, it's a very telling, it's a very aggressive style. It's a dangerous style because you're not really able to defend yourself. But man, he just goes hard at it and nobody knows what to do with it except Mace Windu. Right. And so then a very boring couple of minutes go on where it's supposed to be this intense lightsaber fight but really it's just a very poor lightsaber it's, fight it's really bad it's almost like um uh what's uh it's, who are the actors who's the guy who plays the emperor is um ian mcdermott and um samuel L. samuel jackson. L. jackson it's almost like the two of them insisted on doing their own like lightsaber stuff but they're really really bad at it so it's just these very zoomed in shots of their faces and the lightsabers near them and the fight is just like for the good choreography that we've seen in a few of the other fights and in fact one of the upcoming fights 
I just don't understand why they allowed the choreography of this fight to be this bad. Right. And there's a lot of standing around and talking. And which maybe again is Sidious knowing that Anakin is going to be a disobedient dragon and get in his little uh, ship and fly over. And he is just delaying things so that Anakin can see the version of the truth that Palpatine wants him to see. And that's what happens. That is exactly what happens. So Anakin is a disobedient little guy. He hops in his little uh, fighter and he drives over and he finds um, Mace Windu has managed to uh, kind of basically take the upper hand, if you will, in, in the battle. And Sidious says, or Palpatine, whoever, is like, don't let him kill me. Um, and then Anakin, you know, is like, no, we, he needs to stand trial before the Senate. And so he, you know, comes at Mace Windu to stop him from killing him. And as soon as Anakin shows his moment of weakness, Sidious shoots lightning out of his fingers to, and just like keeps electrocuting the, you know, what out of Mace Windu. And Anakin just stands around going, oh, well, I don't need to interfere with this. Like, this is totally going to end up with, you know, Palpatine standing trial before the Senate. No. no. what What's he doing? Well, I mean, I think in this point, he is, this is really him. And, and again, you, to your earlier point, there's some, there's some rough acting here. But I think what was supposed to be portrayed in this scene is Mace Windu is holding off. So Palpatine has been disarmed. He doesn't have his lightsaber. He's shooting force lightning at Windu to try to protect himself. Windu is trying to get his lightsaber down and decapitate him. Then and they're both yelling at Anakin like he's the traitor. No, he's the traitor. And if if the acting was a little bit more on point, this is where Anakin is really trying to decide what he believes to be right. And you know, on the one hand, he has been a member of the Jedi for a long time. He believes in the Republic to some extent. He's been fighting on the side of the Republic. And so the Sith are, you know, inherently evil from his point of view and should be destroyed. And so Mace Windu's right. On the other hand, uh, he's still feeling bad for, you know, sort of his extrajudicial execution of Dooku. He's feeling like Palpatine has information that he wants. He's feeling like, um, you know, just the Jedi overthrowing the Chancellor is not, you know, quite legal and he's sort of, you know, he's been peppered with all this, you know, propaganda from uh, from Palpatine that the Jedi Council may not be trustworthy. And so he's kind of thinking that maybe he's in the right here and he's trying to decide who, you know, who's in the right. Yeah. And so then on the third hand, he decides to cut off Mace Windu's hand. Uh, then more force lightning from Palpatine, where he just starts cackling and screaming unlimited power yeah. and like a maniacal laugh and mace windu falls out a very high story building and that's the end of mace windu yes yes it is and two things on that just uh just like quick show notes uh one is that mace windu so when samuel l jackson agreed to be in the movie he said there were two conditions he said, one, I'm the only one who gets to have a purple lightsaber because he has a whole thing with the color purple. And two, he's like, I know that as a Jedi, I don't make it through this whole thing. I want to be killed off in an important way by an important character. And to be fair, this is about the most important death uh, of any Jedi. Right. Agreed. And, you know, it did take way too long. The scene does go on far too long. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, a pretty cool way to die. Yeah. Um, after this happens, probably the most sort of awkward, and, and this is a thing that I, there's a lot of criticism of this, and I get it. 
Um, but basically, immediately after that, Anakin goes, oh, God, what have I done? And then Sidious says, yeah, so um, the Jedi were here to overthrow me. Their, the, their next move is going to be to kill us and all the senators. And he's like, yes, I agree. And he said, so um, we need to... You know, we need to def- like we need to move against the Jedi right now before anybody knows what's happening. And he's like, "Yes, I agree. I'll do anything you ask." And gets uh, you know sort of inducted as Darth Vader. And it feels like it's a very sudden from his. I, I think the thing that they probably didn't need there was him saying, "What have I done?" Right? Because I feel like if he if he did if he cut off Windu's hands, he let Palpatine win, and he did that with some measure of confidence. The rest of that whole sequence wouldn't have felt as awkward. I agree. If he hadn't said "What have I done?" then it wouldn't have been that weird. But instead, he says that, and then immediately turns into this master servant relationship, which is the exact opposite of his relationship with Obi Wan. Because we talked about that being brothers. We talked about it being, you know. Uh, friends we talked about it being a father-son relationship we talked about it being you know comrades in battle so now we went to straight up master servant yeah and and i mean to some extent like that's what's been pounded into him by the by the jedi order but yeah he never really he never really acted that way now he does the other thing that i think is really interesting in this scene you know so palpatine sort of reveals the rest of his plan and says you know we need to kill all the jedi and everything but the other thing that he says to him is and so you know, Anakin's like, hey, yeah, with your teachings, we should be able to save Padme. And he said, well, actually, uh, only one person has ever really figured out this whole like not dying thing. And I don't really know how to do it, but I bet together we can figure it out. And this is sort of the first clue, you know, and that he has not been entirely truthful with Anakin either. Like, he manipul- Yeah, I know. Super shocking. He manipulates everybody. But he orders Anakin to go to the Jedi Temple kill everyone yeah and he's not very clear with his order until the very end of this but he's basically saying do what you must do yeah and then finally he reveals yeah you have to kill every last jedi in the temple yeah and what do we see anakin walking in to a bunch of small children that's right and and part of the reason that he says do whatever because he said only if you're strong with the dark side can you do the save padme power and so a part of like the way that I read that scene and, and I don't think it was I don't think it was really quite super clear from the dialogue, but he was like, basically, use your anger, use your hate, build up your reserves of the dark side because you're going to need them to uh, to do this whole saving Padme power. And so, uh, you know, he says, go kill everyone. And Anakin just goes gonzo on the temple. He brings a, about a thousand clones with him and just slaughters everyone. I do think this is another thing where I think I have some criticism for the for the way this was portrayed. I think it's not out of bounds for Anakin to, at this point, have turned against the Jedi Order enough that he would be willing to go in there and kill full-fledged Jedi Knights and even Padawans that had a, a good amount of training and could defend themselves. I think at this point, it is still out of character and out of bounds for him to kill the children. Even though he murdered children of sand people and stuff before, I think that this would have made a lot more sense if the clone troopers had been the ones to kill the children. And I think he would have allowed them to do that, but it feels a little out of bounds. There's a scene in particular where he goes up to the council chamber and a bunch of like eight-year-olds are hiding in there and they say, Master Skywalker, what are we going to do? And he just lights his lightsaber and starts cutting down kids. And that feels out of bounds for him, even at this point. Yeah, but when that happens, it's like, you know, he's just 
he's gone all in. He, he doesn't understand why entirely. He's just, he's like, I, I don't care at this point. I, all I care about is Padme. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I kind of get that. But like, and it, he... He has flinched at certain things in the past, right? And that he he's a he is not quite as aggressive as as he always seems. And it just it feels like that would be a line. I'm I was I was surprised to see him cross that particular line. And again, I think that he would have been fine with the clone troopers following that order while he was doing something else. Um, it just seems weird for him to personally do that um, because it's not really an anger thing. Like he's not angry at those kids. Like he's angry at the trained Jedi, but he's not angry at the children. Um, and so for him to take out his hate of the Jedi council on the kids just feels out of character. Just like I, like I'd have a hard time seeing him, you know, turning on Rex or fives or any of his guys, which he'd never ended up doing. Right. Because like there is a certain level of like he remembers what it was like to be that and all this. And so I just I feel like that was a little bit out of character and a little bit out of bounds for him. Right. But I I guess if we take it back a step and go, okay, so this movie comes out, you know, years ago before the Clone Wars as a cartoon ever came out to like set up like all of this emotion. We need him to go really evil, really fast so that we can understand where the rest of the movie is going to go. Yeah, I suppose. Right. I mean, like I I get that. I just, uh, yeah, I probably overthink it a little bit. It feels a little out of character. And Sith apprentices historically always have to do something immediately to prove their loyalty to their master right that that's par for the course yeah that's par for the course and i think that's where like killing off all of the trained jedi would probably like meet that level yeah um uh, but but they're throughout the galaxy so what does sidious do he gets on his little uh hologram phone call and tells cody uh who's one of the clone troopers hey execute order 66 so we, we talked about this before that's the order to kill all the jedi so anakin's taking care of killing the kids and the clone troopers are going to go out and kill all of the jedi generals in the field that's right and in uh in a real tear tearjerker of a scene honestly i mean they just go jedi after jedi and we see master mundi and we see plo Koon, and we see elias akula and we see unnamed jedi master on a speeder bike um, that they just all like they get the order and their clone troopers kill them. We see them coming after Yoda. And then we see them coming after Yoda. And in, in what I think is a relatively weird scene is the Yoda's troopers get the order. He senses it. They come up behind him and he immediately jumps up, cuts the head off two of his clone troopers. And there's uh, Chewbacca and Tarfor, who are two Wookiees. Stand, Chewbacca, of course, being Chewbacca. And Tarfor, who's another Wookiee leader, standing behind him. And they were just like, huh. Okay, and Yoda jumps up on one of their backs, and they and they and they sort of run off and take him to an escape ship, and they don't really talk about it. Like he just they 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 didn't react. Like they weren't like, why did you just kill your own guys? They they were pretty cool about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Yoda's not a guy to do things lightly, though. That so is true. I, I think that you know he had almost nine hundred years in the galaxy. His reputation preceded him. I I think you know the fact that he suggested that it had been a while since he had seen the Wookies and needed to get out there. They knew him. They they knew like his mo and that if he was going to just start slaughtering his own troops, that something was afoot, and they needed to just listen to Yoda. That's right. And so, I don't know, we may have wandered all the way into, I guess, no, now this is probably where we're into Act 3, right? Yeah, this is is the rise of the Empire, basically. So the the fall of the Jedi coincided with the rise of the Empire. And so Yoda sort of escapes. Um, Obi-Wan, even though his troops uh, attack him, he escapes. 
Um, and he finds himself back in space. He sends out a distress, a distress call and, um, Bail Organa, uh, of Alderaan, he had visited the clone, he visited the Jedi temple while the slaughter of the Jedi was happening. So he kind of has an idea of what happened and he took off looking for Yoda and any other surviving Jedi. And, um, he gets in contact with Obi-Wan they kind of meet up. Uh, Yoda and Obi Wan are on his are on his ship, and he gets a message from the Chancellor that says, "We're convening an emergency meeting of the Senate. Uh, your presence is requested. Get your ass back to Coruscant." Right, right. And so they get back there, and uh, Obi Wan meets with Padme, and it is just you know like that's not good. We got Padme and uh, Bail Organa go to the Senate. And, you know, they they basically this, you know, Palpatine says, I've been attacked by the Jedi. It's a coup to take over the Republic. I've been disfigured. So he can explain why using all of that dark side magic, you know, like made him look extra evil. So he's got a plausible explanation to all of the other senators. Obviously, most of the senates in his pocket are corrupt in some way anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But Padme says to Organa, so this is how Liberty dies, with thunderous applause. Yeah, so true. It's actually like, it's a okay delivered line, okay written, very poignant. And, you know, and if you look at, you know, history of the world, like this is kind of like everybody who always feels like, you know, societies fall over some kind of crazy event. Like it ends up being some sort of vote and some sort of legislative body to give the the dictator power. And, you know, and then they they take it and they build on that from there. And this is sort of what happens. And the Senate applauds the fact that he's declared himself emperor and everybody's OK with it. And now all of a sudden it's an empire. Right. And and, and that's the thing is that, you know, they basically brought this upon themselves and a handful of senators that wind up going on to form the rebellion, um, they are clearly not strong enough and they probably should have been working on this this whole time. They, they knew which of their colleagues were, you know, corrupt and, you know, morally bankrupt. They already knew these things. They really did not. They had perhaps too much faith in the Senate and, and too much faith in democracy working. Um, and, and, you know, they they wound up being overruled, just too many of them. Yep. Um, so Padme's all sad. She talks to Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan basically says, yeah, uh, so Anakin's a father, huh? And that's not great because Padme thought they were being all slick with their secrets, which, you know, worst kept secret. Um, and he tells her that Anakin's turned to the dark side. She doesn't believe him. But there was a scene earlier where... You know, she feels Anakin's fall to the dark side. Yeah. She feels that when he kills those younglings. That's right. So she knows. And and Obi-Wan tells her, I've seen the security hollows. I watched him kill children in the Jedi Temple. He's fallen to the dark side. He's a very real threat to the Republic. Um, and he said, I have to go find him. She's like she says, You're gonna you're gonna kill him, aren't you? And he's Yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's when, so he asks her where he, where Anakin is. She refuses to tell him. And that's, yeah, when he says, he's the father, isn't he? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, uh, and then he leaves and, you know, he's sort of manipulating her here because he knows that by telling her that she's going to go to wherever Anakin is, he hides out on her ship and hitches a ride to wherever she's going. Right, right. And so we know that Anakin was sent out to kill, um, 
all of those guys that we saw, you know, who thought that they were going to profit off of the the wars and off of the manipulation that Palpatine had. But Palpatine just wanted to eliminate all of the competition. So he says, sends Anakin out to kill everybody and uh, winds up that uh, the last place we find Anakin is this planet on Mustafar. Yep. And that's where Padme is headed. And so Obi-Wan kind of hides in the shadows and then sneaks up onto Padme's ship. So it's Padme and 3PO, and unbeknownst to the two of them, Obi-Wan's on that ship. That's right. And so Anakin's gone to Mustafar. He just flat-out cold-blooded murders uh, the head of the Techno-Union army. He kills Newt Gunray, finally. He's the, that guy had it coming. That though. guy definitely had it coming. I mean, he's had it coming since the beginning of episode one. He's a, he's a not-good person. Um, and so he kills all the separatist leaders. He reports into Sidious that he's done that. Sidious says, transmit an order that all clone or all uh, um, droid uh, forces are to, to shut down immediately. And so that sort of ends the uh, separatist side of the war because the droid army just deactivates itself. Um, and then when uh, Padme arrives he goes out to con- he goes out to talk to her and she starts to confront him and says you're going down a road I can't follow etc etc and he starts talking about his empire and he says I'm even more powerful than the emperor he's like I can overthrow him and then you and I can rule the galaxy together and she starts crying and says no you can't do that you know Obi-Wan knows about us he's trying to help you and he's like I don't want to hear any more about Obi-Wan he gets really jealous yeah which there's been nothing ever to suggest that there was any other kind of relationship between Anakin or Obi-Wan and Padme. Yeah. And then Anakin immediately goes to jealousy. And this is really unfortunate that at this point, Obi-Wan reveals himself standing on the ramp of the, the, Do, doing, the, jet. the yeah. doing the full on hero pose too. Yeah. 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 No, he, he, Hands he on the hips. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's got his cloak, right? Yeah. So he's kind of got it going. And and at that point, Anakin says, "You." he says to Padme, you betrayed me. You're on his side and starts force choking her. Which, Terrible move. Yeah. I mean, this is obviously showing his anger's out of control. So he starts force choking her. Obi-Wan tells her, tells him to release her. And he's like, look at this. He's like, what have you done? Like you did all of this to, to save her. And now you've like, you know, you've, you're, you're attacking her. You're and he, and, and Anakin says, no, you're not going to take her from me. And he's like, you, you did that to yourself. Like, what are you doing here? And, uh, and he says, now you've become the very thing that you vowed to destroy. And then they get ready to fight. Yeah. And so their fight goes on for a very, very long time. Um, Padme has been forced choked. She's, you know, presumed dead maybe passed out you know and uh not anakin checks on her but obi-wan checks on her and then he proceeds after uh anakin so you know that kind of makes us think that you know she's probably not dead if obi-wan's gonna keep going yeah and and then they proceed to have what is probably like my second or third at least the first like five minutes of it is maybe my second or third favorite lightsaber battle um of all of star wars um, after they go outside, it stops being that. But while they're in the building, um, it's just a really cool fight because they've obviously trained. I mean, they trained together. They fought together for so long. And it's just, it's an exact mirror battle. And just no one can really get the upper hand. They know each other's moves inside and out. It's very fast. It's very dynamic. It's just a, a really good whole battle up to the point where like they try to both throw force throw each other at the same time and it's a beautiful dance yeah it really is um and you know and it ends up being a draw until 
Um, they get thrown, both get thrown across the room by their own force move. And it's sort of, I don't know, some computer breaks and it shuts off the shields outside because they're on this volcano planet and I don't know. And then they move the fight to outside and then it just goes on for like 25 minutes that are completely unnecessary. Yeah. And it might not actually be 25 minutes, but it feels like 25 minutes. Sure feels like So there's a handful of things that like you may or may not care about if you haven't seen it before. Watch it all the way through. If you have, fast forward a little bit. But we eventually get to the point where Obi-Wan had, they were like floating on the lava river on these little um, rafts. And then Obi-Wan jumps up onto land and he tells Anakin it's over. I have the high grant ground Anakin says oh you think and he does this like crazy uh gymnastic flip up Obi-Wan slices his legs off yes and so now uh Anakin is legless I think he even loses part of one of his arms yeah so he loses the arm that isn't the robot arm right so he's so he's down to his robot arm is his only remaining limb and it's a hill and he's on a hill and he's sliding down toward the lava river and Obi-Wan gives him this whole speech about you were the chosen one. You were supposed to bring balance to the force. You were my brother. And then he kind of looks at him in disgust and then and starts to turn and walk away. And and just as he does, Anakin's leg touches the lava river and he starts on fire. And Obi-Wan just kind of looks at him burning on fire and then walks away, which is like the coldest thing you could possibly imagine at that point. Like, doesn't go for the mercy kill, just goes with like, yeah, I'm just going to let you burn to death and, um, you know, see you in the next life. Yeah, so what instead happens is Anakin screams as loudly as he possibly can, I hate you, um, and he is filled with nothing but hate and dark side evil force juice at that point. And, you know, he's missing some limbs. And at this point, Palpatine Sidious, he's realized that something bad Dad's happened to his apprentice. He's got to go to Mustafar and figure this out. Right. But don't forget, before that, Yoda confronted him. Like, we missed the whole Yoda Sidious fight, right? So at the same time that Anakin and Obi-Wan were fighting, Yoda marches into to City to Palpatine's office and starts a fight with him, which, you know, starts all quippy and them yelling at each other and throwing force at each other, a little lightsaber fighting, and then they end up in the Senate chamber just throwing giant Senate donuts at each other and the fight basically ends in a draw where Yoda realizes he's not going to win he calls Bail Organa and jumps in his speeder and they fly away I mean it's really like it's a it's a kind of a cool fight sequence but it really just goes on for a while and ends up nowhere and then Yoda jumps in a ship and says uh I need to go into exile I failed to win this fight right and right. so at, toward the end of that, then Palpatine is sending troops to go look for Yoda. And he also calls for his ship because he says, I sense Lord Vader's in danger. He flies over to Mustafar and finds burned, uh, burned Anakin and has him medivaced back to his secret lab. Right, right. And by all accounts, Anakin should have died. Um, and it's because he's so full of the dark side of the Force, which, again, you know, we, we talked about earlier that there are things that the dark side of the Force can help you do which are unnatural. And not die when you're being burned alive is apparently one of those things. Yeah, I mean, Maul survives being cut in half. So I guess dark side wielders uh, have a little bit more death resistance than you would expect. Right, right. And, you know, um, like Darth Bane was able to go, what, three weeks without eating because he just like fed 
bed on the dark side of the force yeah. or whatever. So yeah, yeah, definitely unnatural things happen when you're strong with the dark side of the force. So that's where, you know, the Darth Vader that we all know from the original trilogy is born. He basically becomes more machine than man, as Obi-Wan winds up saying later on. Um, and we see him getting built back together. That's right. And so they do it, and this is another one of these where they do the sort of bounce between scenes, but they bounce between um, Padme laying in a hospital bed giving birth. Which looks shockingly like those visions Anakin had before. Right. And then Anakin being in his like surgery bed, apparently being operated on without anesthesia because he's very awake and in pain, which is, you know, just... Not very nice, but whatever. Um, and so Leia has her twins. She names them Luke and... Uh, I'm right. sorry. Padme <laughs> has her twins. She names them Luke and Leia. Um, and then she basically just... Di- she just dies of a broken heart or something. Like the, the droids come out and they're like, she's medically fine, but she's lost the will to live. Yeah, it's so, so cheesy. And I recognize that we needed to get rid of her in some way because she doesn't come back up. And we know that Leia down the road confesses to not really having memories of her mother. Although she's like, I, I you know, from when I was really young and was like, are you sure? Um, yeah. Which may be that she was remembering like Mrs. Organa or whatever, but um, we, we don't know for sure. But um, yeah, no, Padme dies of a broken heart. That It's kind of far-fetched. And then we've got Obi-Wan holding Luke in his arms, the robot doctor holding Leia. We've got Yoda. We've got Organa. And they're trying to figure out what are they supposed to do now? Yeah. Yeah. Just as a relationship question, you know, like if I went, you know, cuckoo bananas and like, I don't know, killed a bunch of people, would you just die? That doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. No. Yeah. I feel like this was a, yeah, I don't know. I just, I have a hard time getting past that part. Yeah, but then, like, you hear these stories about, like, couples that have been married for 50 years and, you know, the wife dies and then less than a year later the husband dies and, you know, like, that kind of they lost their will to live because, you know, they they lost their spouse. But, you know, that's a little bit different than the nature of this. Yeah, these guys were secret married for, like, two years, uh, three years, and... Had a very weird relationship. That they were hardly ever together, too. Like, yeah. the whole thing, just uh, it's far-fetched. Yeah. It's not the kind of love that should be strong enough to, you know, destroy someone's heart and That's will right. to live. And so, um, Vader wakes up from his surgery, and uh, Palpatine's there, and he says, you know, and the first thing that he says when he wakes up is, how's Padme? Is she okay? And, he's, and Palpatine says, well, actually, in your rage, you killed her. And then... Through the force, Anakin just smashes all the machines in the room and then does a terrible Wilhelm scream, no, whole thing, which is cheesy. Um, and so back on the good back on the good guy ship, they decide to um, give Leia to the Organas. They decide to send Luke to his fam- family on Tatooine. And, and Yoda, is he pulls Obi-Wan aside and basically says, you know, um, you're gonna, I got some work for you to do while you're watching Luke grow up on Tatooine. You're going to commune with an old friend. Uh, you're going to learn other parts of the force. 
you know, your old master Qui-Gon has lessons to teach you and I'm going to teach you how to unlock those lessons. So kind of going back to what we learned about in season six on the Clone Wars of the Cosmic Force, you know, that's basically we learned that that's what uh, Obi-Wan is going to go do because Obi-Wan's strong with the Force, but, you know, how does he go from where he is today to learning how to, you know, become a Force ghost? That's right. And I think the other interesting thing about that, right, is that through the whole movie, um, Anakin and Sidious are trying to figure out how to how to defeat death and how to, you know, be able to not die. And it turns out it's actually the light side that has the ability to retain your identity after death. And that's sort of the true immortality through the force and that you really didn't need the dark side to do it. Now, it's not quite the same life, right, that that um, that that you live. But it turns out the whole time you didn't need the dark side to be able to preserve your identity after death. Right, exactly. It, it, but it goes back to that whole attachment thing that Yoda spoke of that, you know, that's where the problems start. Yep. Um, and, and so really it's, uh, you know, we see the only healthy marriage in pretty much all of Star Wars land. Uh, we see Luke being handed over to uh, Owen and Beru on Tatooine and they kind of stand in the, the sunset. Um, and Owen looks a lot like Luke at the beginning of a new hope. Yeah. And so that that's kind of, you know, the transition to get us set up for you know, the original trilogy starting. But also what's really cool is the way that they weaved in some of the things that are supposed to happen in between uh Empire Day, which is the day Luke and Leia were born and uh Palpatine Sidious took power at, instead of being chancellor as the emperor. Um, to where we begin in A New Hope. But we've got setups for the Rebels cartoon show. We've got setups for Solo. We've got setups for Rogue One. Um, and these are all intended to fill in the gap. Uh, we don't have a lot of setups, so to speak, for The Mandalorian. But, uh, you know, we, we may see more to come from that that might tie into what we saw in the prequel trilogy. Yeah, I think uh, Season 7 of Clone Wars is going to be more of a setup for that than it. Yeah. But yeah, so, yeah. So, hey, we've got an empire. The Sith have risen. Yeah, good day. I'll tell you, well, and like we said, rolling all the way back, all of that last act happened on one day, and you gotta be, you know, for better or worse, Palpatine had a good day. He was planning this stuff for a long... I mean, this was a plan that goes all the way back to Bane a thousand years ago. There was, you know, Bane started on this journey to get the Sith back in power and to defeat the Jedi. And it took a thousand years. And finally, Sidious was the one who pulled it off. And in one day, he went from being in the middle of a war to ending the war, which, I mean, he orchestrated the war, so he had the ability to do that kind of at any point, but, like, he ended the war, he destroyed 98% of the Jedi, 99.5% of the Jedi, he destroyed most of the Jedi. Yoda he, counts at least as 1%, just because he's short, judge him not by his size. Well, there were, there were over 1,000 Jedi, that, and then you're down to, like, two, maybe four, because there are a couple others you don't know about, right? Right. But he ended most of the Jedi, he ended a war, he declared himself Emperor, he got the most powerful apprentice, but definitely the most vulnerable apprentice that he could always keep as an apprentice, right? There's low chance of him rising up and defeating him. So, like, he had a really good day. He had a great day. Yeah. The rest of the galaxy, not so great. Not so great. Yeah, so once again, we end on a low note. I know, I was trying to make it a little bit of a high note, but somebody had a good day. Yeah, but not the guy we wanted to have a good no, day. No, no. 
But I guess the high note is that, like you said, Luke uh, and Leia are both set on a path to um, restore the light side of the Force. It's just going to take a little while. Right, right. And, you know, I I think that uh, the other thing that, you know, I I feel bad saying this, but, you know, this is a podcast about, you know, love and relationships and marriage. You know, finally, the worst marriage in the history of the galaxy is over. (laughs) Um, You know, it it came at quite the cost, but, you know, it was tough to watch on screen. It was badly cast. It was poorly written, terrible acting. And, you know, it really didn't benefit anyone it just continued to create problems at least that that relationship came to an end so um our relationship is pretty awesome if you yourself are not in a great relationship find a way to put yourself in an awesome situation and if that means your relationship comes to an end then so be it agreed all right that was not the direction i thought we were gonna go yeah not really but anakin and padme they weren't meant to be they were not yeah yeah So, yep. So here we are. Well, we've got a ton more to come. And, um, you know, the nice, I guess the the high note is that we're at sort of the low point in the galaxy, Um, right? The the beginning of the empire, this is about as bad as it gets. And uh, the rest of this whole saga is like climb back out on the other side. Right. That's a very good way to look at it. We are at the rock bottom. Yes, we are. Yeah. So on that note, I love you. I know.